Unless you're a fan of video games, you probably won't know this, but there is a series of games based on the Lego building blocks. We all know what the Legos are, but there's uh, games for like Wii and PlayStation, Lego Batman, Lego Star Wars, Lego Indiana Jones, and several others. Personally, Isaiah and I really like the Lego Indiana Jones and Star Wars the best right now. You run around as the characters who are themselves made up of Lego blocks. You can build things, find items, break blocks. It's a lot of fun, but one of the interesting things about it is that it guides you throughout the game to do the things that you're supposed to do. For instance, if you're supposed to build something, maybe a ladder, so that you can get up to this, a higher level, then there's this pile of Lego blocks bouncing around everywhere. So you know there's, there's something I've got to do right there. These Lego blocks are bouncing. I've got to build that. If you're supposed to pull a lever to open a door, the, le the lever is usually wiggling around a little bit and sparkling a little bit. You know I've got to go get that lever and pull it down, and then I'll be able to go somewhere else. If you're supposed to go in a certain direction, sometimes there's this big arrow on, one, on the side of the screen or top of the screen telling you you've got to go this way or you've got to go that way. It's very helpful. It makes the game easy enough for a four-year-old to play. And I'm sure there are many of us who wish that this kind of guidance wasn't just in video games, right? We wish it was real life. Can you imagine that? You wake up in the morning, you open the closet, and the blue sweater is just wiggling around. Like, wear me. Wear me. So you pick it up and put it on, get yourself ready, you eat breakfast. But where in the world did you put your keys? I've lost them again. And you look around and the fridge is sparkling and shaking around a little bit. Right there, right there, open me. So you reach in, you get your keys out, uh, you walk over, open the door, um, leave and head to work. And on the way, you always turn left. But, but, but this time at the stoplight, there's a big arrow right in the middle of the intersection pointing right. So you curious about that, but you say, well, I guess I'm supposed to go right, so I'll go right. Wouldn't that make life so much easier? The decisions we might find in keys, making certain decisions. If God would just guide us by bouncing, sparkling objects and big arrows in the sky, it would seem like it would be a lot easier. Uh, but this is not the way God has chosen to guide us. And we can assume the reason God didn't choose this way is because he had a better way in mind. He had a way that would require that we actually use our brains. He had a way that would require us to depend on Him and on His Word. He, it would be a way that would not just get us to where we need to go, but a way that would also grow us and sanctify us as we went. This morning we're considering the question, how does God guide us? How should we expect for God to guide us in making decisions? both the mundane, everyday, boring decisions, as well as the big life-changing decisions. And the answer to that, what we'll be focusing on this morning, is wisdom. God guides us by wisdom. We should expect for God to guide us not by signs and wonders, not even by whispers in our hearts or nudges in our hearts, but by wisdom. We'll focus on that answer, but first, let's briefly be reminded of what, of, of the two things we talked about previously, God's sovereign will and His moral will, for these also are ways that God's guide, God guides us. Remember, God's sovereign will, as the Baptist Confession puts it, refers to the fact that has decreed 
God has decreed from all eternity, freely and unchangeably, all things, whatever comes to pass. Yet this doesn't make God the author of sin, and it doesn't change the fact that we have uh, real decisions that we have, have to make, that we are creatures who have freedom in our choices. It means God has a plan, and he's carrying it through. And it can't be changed or thwarted by Satan or by dumb mistakes that we make. God is working his plan for his own glory and for the good of his people, for the salvation of his people. And remember, this sovereign will is something that's secret. It's hidden from us. We, we can't know what it is. So since we don't know the future or God's plan, we are challenged to trust in him. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out again is because this is one of the ways in which God guides us. However, it's something we don't have control over, right? God carries out his plan. God's sovereign will will be accomplished. He will carry it through. And we sometimes call this, or theologians call this providence. Say that with me. Providence. Not, not Providence, Rhode Island, but in theology it refers to God's carrying through his will, carrying out his sovereign will. Like the story of Joseph. We, saw, we looked at a couple weeks ago. God raised him up from slavery that his brothers had sold him into, raised him up to power, and used him to save God's people from starvation, from the plagues. Listen to how the great pastor Charles Spurgeon explains providence from one of his servant's sermons. He who makes the most ponderous orb roll in dignity, that's the planets, and keeps its predestined orbit, can make a little atom like myself move in my proper course and conduct me as he pleases. Christian, there is no sweeter pillow than providence. And when providence seems adverse, believe it still and lay it under your head. For depend on it, there is comfort there. There is hope for you, child of God. The great trouble which has come in your way into your pilgrimage is planned by love, the same love which shall interpose as your protector. What that's saying is God is working in ways that we cannot see. And when all we see is terrible trial, God sees something much greater. God is working something much greater for his people. We can't see or know his providence before it takes place, so we have to just trust him. Now, God's moral will is different. It is revealed to us in the scripture. He guides us by providence in hidden ways, ways out of our control, but he guides us in his word by what he commands us. And this is clear for us to see, and it is in our control. The challenge for us in providence is to trust God, but the challenge in God's moral will is to obey God, to obey his commands. This is simple enough. You ask, how does God guide us? We answer, by providence, as he sees fit, and by his word, where he commands we must obey. And that's God's will for us, our sanctification, our obedience, as we saw last week. But what about in instances where there isn't a direct command from Scripture? You see, sometimes the Bible doesn't directly speak to our situations or the decisions that we have to make. There's no verse in the Bible which tells you what kind of car you should buy. No verse in the Bible about what college you should attend or whether you should go to college at all. Of course, we do know if you are an all-star basketball player, you should go to Carolina, right? But... There are many cases where Scripture doesn't speak directly. 
And in those cases, we should use wisdom to determine the best course. Wisdom. We should use wisdom to make the decision that would be most pleasing to God and most loving to other people. This is the natural way in which God has determined to guide us, by wisdom. And this is the way we should expect God to guide us, not by signs or arrows in the sky, not by nudges in the heart, but wisdom. So in light of that, what should our question be? How do I get it? How do I get wisdom? How can I become wise? And the answer is not just getting older. The scripture tells us about how to get wisdom. And there are certain things that we must do. We must apply ourselves to get wisdom. And I'm, at this point, I'm indebted to Kevin DeYoung in his book, Just Do Something, for pointing me out to, uh, on Proverbs 2, how the author of Proverbs 2 instructs us to gain wisdom. So let's look at that together. Proverbs chapter 2 is what, we read, what I read earlier. Right now, we're going to look at the first six verses of Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come, under, come knowledge and understanding. Now notice how the author keeps saying, if, 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 if you do this, if you do this, then you have understanding and knowledge from the Lord. The Lord gives wisdom. It comes from him. From this passage, I want us to see three things we should do, three conditions, we could say, in order to gain wisdom. They're all related intertwined, but each one adds a different dimension in our desire to get knowledge. We're asking, how can I get wisdom? We need wisdom to make decisions that please God. So we're asking, how can I get wisdom? Here's the first answer. We get wisdom from receiving and treasuring up God's Word. We get wisdom from receiving and treasuring up God's Word. You see that in verse 1. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you. As we saw last week, we're in desperate need of recovering the Word of God. Christians are in desperate need of recovering God's Word. We're in desperate need of listening to, reading, studying, hearing the Word of God. Just like we can't live without food, we cannot live without God's Word to us. This verse is talking about something that we... Uh, different than we usually think of when it comes to making decisions. What do we usually do? We are reactive in our Bible reading rather than proactive. Reactive means when uh, that little hammer that the doctor used hits your knee, your foot pops off. That's reactive. Often we Christians are like this in making decisions or in reading the Scripture. We'll face a decision, and as a reaction, we'll start shuffling through our Bible. How can I figure this out? What do I do? And that's a good thing. We should go to the Scripture. We should be seeking direction from the Word. But this is talking about something different. This is talking about what we could call a proactive way of making decisions with wisdom. 
Accepting the words of God and storing up His commands within us means that we will be shaped by the Scriptures as we read them day in and day out. We'll be shaped by the knowledge of who God is and what He expects from us. It's like when you fill up a sponge with water and you stick that hose right onto it and it just keeps filling up and filling up. Eventually, all the water just starts gushing out of it, pouring out of it. And as we accept God's Word and as we store them up within ourselves, treasure them up within us, then we'll begin to pour out the knowledge of God, pour out wisdom. It will just kind of ooze out of us. There was a time when I was going through seminary that I worked as a lawn care specialist. So I was the guy that came out to your lawn and spread fertilizer out and sprayed all those pesky weeds. Took some getting used to and learning the ropes, like any job. And at first, one especially difficult part was trying to figure out where I was going. Where am I going on my next stop? First, I would have to take out my map every single time and look at, okay, I need to take this road, I need to turn left here, I need to go that way trying to find the most efficient course. But gradually, things changed. After a while, things started to click. It got easier. Soon after one stop, I knew almost instinctively where I was going to be going next and how the best route, how the best way to get there was. Just down the road, this way, turn left. I, I wouldn't even have to think about it, actually. I would just do it. You maybe have experienced something like that in your field of work. What's happening there, what, happened, what was happening with me is that I was reading the map. I was studying the map over and over again, over time. I was storing up knowledge of Raleigh and where my stops were and where I would go next, and soon it was almost second nature to me. I could just do it. And storing up the commands of God is something like that. When we take time to soak ourselves in Scripture, when we take time to, to allow Scripture to soak into us, God begins to give us knowledge and understanding. He gives us wisdom. Think about it for a moment. What are you storing up within yourself? What is your consistent diet, day in and day out, the diet of your mind? What sorts of things do you soak up each and every day? The morning newspaper, could you tell us? Every single item in the news from this morning and every sports score from Yesterday, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Is it some TV show that you know all about? You know all the ins and outs, you know the characters. You could summarize the plot in detail for us. We each have things that we enjoy doing, hobbies, and that's okay. It's okay to be, uh, have specialized knowledge in certain areas, but consider this. Can you summarize the plot line of the Bible? Someone were to ask you on the spot, what's the Bible about? Would you be able to take them through the scriptures? The whole story, the grand story of the redemption of God's people? Can you name the Ten Commandments? Or the Lord's Prayer? Or the Beatitudes? See, what I'm asking here is, are you taking time each week, each day, to soak yourself, to soak your mind and your heart and your soul in the Word of God and in His commandments. I'm thankful that you're here this morning because those who aren't here or who aren't in some other church where the Word is preached are seriously missing out. And it's not because of my skill or any other preacher's skill at preaching. They're missing out because this is the time and this is the place 
where God has promised to bless His people in a special way. Even more so, I believe the Scripture teaches, even more so than our private individual times of reading and prayer. When the people of God come together for worship, Scripture, preaching, prayer, and the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, something special happens, something amazing happens. The Spirit is working through His Word to change us on the spot. God's Spirit is here, working, convicting us of sin, changing our minds, changing our hearts, creating faith within us, all by the power of His Word. So by being here today, if you are attentive, soaking in the Word that you hear read and preached, and as we sing scriptural songs, you are soaking in the truth of God. The second verse here in Proverbs 2 is closely related. The first condition for gaining wisdom is to accept God's Word and to store up His commands within us. The second verse, the author describes the process for receiving God's Word. Turn your ear to wisdom, turning your ear to wisdom and your heart to understanding. It's not enough to just open your Bible and read lines of words. It's not enough just to come here to church and sit in a pew. We must turn our ears to the wisdom of God. We must apply our hearts to understanding what it is we hear. We must apply our minds to understand what it is we've learned and think about. How does this apply to my life? How does God want me to change or to grow? No, it's not something that happens overnight. Sometimes we might think that way. It's more like lifting weights, though. Imagine you went to a gym and you saw someone doing some bicep curls. They were pumping iron, just doing, working out hard, and they, they turn to you and say, it doesn't seem to be working, though. You say, well, how long have you been doing it? He says, I've already done it about ten times. Does it work that way? Is that how fast it works? No, but over the long haul, over the long haul of going, coming together as the body of Christ for, to church, to hear the word preached, to partake of the Lord's Supper, over the long haul of doing these things, week in and week out, God will be changing you. God will be growing you. God will be growing your faith. He'll be growing you in godliness. And you might... You might you might think one week, it doesn't seem to be working. I don't seem to be changing. But remember, this is, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. A marathon of, that lasts your entire life. God is growing us by His Word. If we will turn our ears to His wisdom and apply our hearts to understand. So are you soaking in the Word of God? Are you storing up His commands within you? Let's work and encourage one another that, that that would be the case with us. Because we want wisdom. We see the second condition in verse 3. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Along with this, James 1.5 teaches that we should ask God for wisdom, especially in times of trial. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Or Jesus in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. 
Friends, do you consistently pray that the Lord would bless you with wisdom? Is that one of the things on your prayer list? Is that one of the things you ask God for? Give me wisdom, Lord, please. Perhaps we all know that prayerlessness is a problem that many, if not most of us, face. We don't pray because we're busy. We don't pray because we're lazy. We don't pray maybe because we don't see the immediate results. But we must pray. Prayer is our expression of dependence upon God. It's the means by which God decides to give us gifts. And here God commands us to cry out for wisdom. Imagine one night you were, you went to bed and you had an amazingly vivid dream. It seemed real. You, you weren't sure if it was real or a dream. You were lying there in the dark when a bright light appeared at your window. A bright light and it came through your window and your whole room was just filled with this brilliant light and it was the Lord who was appearing to you. And he said to you, tell me what I should give to you. Basically, name your price. What do you want? What would you say? What would you ask for? Here's the opportunity of a lifetime. The Almighty God visits you and gives you a blank check. What should I do for you? hundred billion dollars? The most, to be the most powerful person in the world, to have world peace, or just to have some peace in your family? What would you ask for? This actually happened. One night the Lord appeared to King Solomon in a dream. We read about this in 1 Kings chapter 3. The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Tell me what I should give you. And after some consideration, here's what Solomon said. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in the place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Notice the humility that Solomon has. He knew that he wasn't up to making decisions on his own. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own, and yet many times we think we can live life just fine without God. In humility and in wisdom, Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom. Isn't that interesting? It was a wise thing to do to ask God for wisdom. I would, it would probably be a sad story to see what some of our stories looked like had we been in Solomon's place. If that offer were made to us, consider for a minute your prayer life. Do you pray to God besides at mealtimes? What about as a family? Do you spend some time together praying? What do you ask for when you pray? What do you pray for? The irony of it is, if we are wise, we'll be asking for wisdom. But often we're, our prayers are simply requests to make us more comfortable. Prayers to fulfill our desires. But what if we started praying for wisdom? What if we began praying for God to teach us how to apply His Word to our lives? What if we began praying that God would make us more like Him? Lord, help us to pray. Help us to pray. And not to just ask things for things that give us pleasure or comfort, but 
for your glory and for our sanctification, for our growth in holiness. Proverbs 2, we've seen two conditions for gaining wisdom from the Lord. If we store up God's word within ourselves, if we cry out for it, if we pray for it, and finally, if we diligently seek for it, he will give us wisdom. If we diligently seek for it. Look at verses 4 and 5. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So just a week ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving and we got together with our families and friends. And if we were able, we enjoyed food and conversations and probably some more food, right? It was a good time to have together. Then, having our bellies filled with turkey, we hung out a little while longer and went to sleep. Or some of us did, right? There were others who didn't go to sleep. But instead, they got bundled up in the middle of the night to go out to some store seeking some great deals for Black Friday. Anybody do that? A few of us? <clears throat> or some got rested Thursday night so they could get up at the crack of dawn Friday and go shopping. Maybe you were daring enough to get out there. And we all like good deals. That's not what surprised me. What surprised me was how far some people were willing to go to get these deals. Right? We saw some of the news articles, people getting sprayed in the face with pepper spray or beaten up or arrested, and just crazy stuff. They went to great lengths, some people. Some skipped Thanksgiving dinner with their families to go get in line for a good deal. Some camped out all night to get a deal. They went to great lengths to get stuff, stuff that would be really forgotten in a little while, right? I wonder, though, how many of us would be willing to lose sleep over the search for wisdom? How many of us would lose sleep in the search for wisdom? How many of us would commit ourselves to waking up at the crack of dawn so we could dig into God's Word? I have to pray here, God, forgive me. See, the value of the object we seek will determine what we're willing to do to get it. How valuable is it is that item you're looking for? If it's really valuable, you're going to do a lot to get it. The value of the object we seek will determine how far we're willing to go to get it. If we value the object greatly, we'll make great sacrifices to go get it. If the value is great enough, we'd be willing to give our lives to try to get it. Much less a little sleep. Friends, what does this say? about how we value wisdom. Are we willing to seek it like silver, like precious hidden treasure? i got to have it, Lord. i got to have wisdom. I'm willing to give what it takes to find it. Are we willing even to seek it like a Black Friday deal? How valuable to us is wisdom? Pray that we will seek after wisdom from His Word, from from other mature believers who know His Word, from wherever we can find it, let us seek after wisdom like our lives depend on it, because actually it does. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 to 25. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law, the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, 
God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You can see from this that the wisdom of God looks nothing like the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of man says, you must be the most powerful, the most popular, the most talented, the wealthiest in order to be successful and worth anything. The wisdom of God says you must be weak. The wisdom of God says you must be humble. The wisdom of God says you must die to sin and self. This looks foolish to the world. The wisdom of this world says that a man who was beaten and nailed to a cross is foolishness and worthlessness. But God's wisdom says that it is our only hope for salvation. This is the wisdom of God. His very Son hanging on a cross to save sinners. This is the wisdom of God. That the preaching of this message, the preaching of this Christ, would be the power of God for salvation. Think about how God works through small and weak things. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians again, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, our holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen to that again. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What are you boasting in this morning? What is your boast this morning? Or more seriously yet, when you stand before God as your judge, what will your boast be? Will it be your wealth? Your popularity? What others think of you? What will you be able to say to Him to commend yourself to Him? What will you, in your heart, what do you think you have to brag about? If your answer is anything other than, my only boast is in the Lord. If your answer is anything other than that, you will be sadly, sadly broken before him on the day of judgment. And you are not wise according to Scripture. You will be foolish. Scripture tells us that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is your only hope for salvation. The only boast you can have before God on Judgment Day is in Jesus. He's your only hope for true life. So turn away from your own boasting about the little things in your life and seek Him like the precious treasure that He is. The Proverbs says, Seek wisdom like a precious treasure. And Paul says, Jesus is the treasure. 
Jesus is wisdom from God. Jesus is life and salvation. Seek Christ above all things, and then your treasure will not be here on the earth. It will be with Him in heaven. That's where your heart will be. Let's bow our heads for a time of response. And I hope you will spend some time praying between you and Him about what needs to change, about how He is speaking to you through His Word this morning.